If you have a Bible, go to Mark's Gospel, please. Mark chapter 10. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there, it's page 845. It'll be right on the bottom, right-hand corner there. As we're going through Mark's Gospel, uh, we've been just systematically going through it and learning all along the way and making connections uh, to what he's been talking about, to the grand narrative of, of the Scriptures. So Mark 10... Starting verse 1. And he left there, and he went to the region of Judea, beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, quote, God made them male and female, end quote. And another quote, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, end quote. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Well, therefore, God has joined together or put together, let not man separate. In the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and how it is our authority and our guide. And I pray that we, as we look at this text of Scripture today, I pray that it would be helpful in how we talk about it, and it would be, we would be true to what you were communicating to the Pharisees and to the disciples that day. And so, Father, I pray that as we look at your word, that we would, uh, the Holy Spirit would guide us and remove distractions from us right now. Father, there are times where uh, the text of Scripture is very easy, and there's times where it's a little bit more difficult. And Father, I pray that whatever we find ourselves and how we see this passage this morning, I pray that your Spirit would guide us, and that as I have the privilege of teaching from this text today, Father, I pray that I would be uh, true to your Word, and I would speak only what your Word has to say here. And so, Father, we're we're asking for you to guide us during this time, remove distractions from us, and Father, we pray that it would be helpful as a result of looking at these 12 verses from Mark's gospel this morning. So we bow before you now, recognizing our dependence upon you, recognizing that we need you, and we need you for all things, even in understanding and reading the scriptures, and, and most importantly for that. And so, Father, I pray that this time will be profitable in your sight and that you would guide us. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you know about the wars in the Balkans starting in 1991, but since the beginning of those wars, there's about 2,500 people in Croatia have died from landmine explosions. During the four-year war, 90,000 landmines were placed across the entire country, mostly at random and without any plan or existing maps. About 466 square miles are still suspected of being filled with mines from the wars. 
So how does a country find and dispose of that many mines when they don't even know where they are? The answer may surprise you. Honeybees. University in Croatia is pioneering a multi-million dollar program that they are uh, um, calling uh, tiramisu. The premise is simple. Uh, Honeybees have a perfect sense of smell that can quickly detect the scent of explosives. They are being trained to identify their food with the scent of TNT. Food sources for the bees in training are laced with traces of TNT. Sorry, bees. The bees learn to seek out food only with that specific smell. Release the bomb-sniffing bees in the area of the suspected minefield, and the bees go to the mines. There are several animals with the ability to smell and identify TNT, but dogs, dogs have been used for years, but dogs weigh enough to detonate the mines, and honeybees do not, and so they are the perfect bomb-proof sniffers. So, why am I telling you about bomb-sniffing honeybees this morning? Because I feel like I'm walking into a minefield with this message and would love for some honeybees to show me where to step and where not to step, okay? Now, the reason why this is a minefield this morning is because divorce is very common in our culture. And it's even even common in our church. There are many of you who are listening right now to me who you have personally experienced a divorce. We're not talking about your parents even. We're talking you have experienced a divorce. And so there's a lot of pain that is wrapped up in that. There is a lot of sorrow that is wrapped up. There is a lot of crushed dreams and hopes that are wrapped up in this. So whenever even I say the word divorce, it's almost like a trigger in some of your minds. And I understand that. Now, I've got to teach the text because I'm a pastor, and I've got to just teach the next text, and this is the next text. I would be irresponsible, or it would be irresponsible of me, and it would be pastoral malpractice of me if I were to skip over this text simply because it's difficult. And so I recognize that there's some minds here this morning. I recognize that there is uh, uh, people who have waded through this and are and maybe even currently going through some of this. And so we just need to be very cautious about that this morning. But at the same time, we have to be very careful in this. It's also a minefield because this is a very complex issue. If, if you think that the Bible is just abundantly clear on this, you need to go back and look at it. Now, there's enough clarity that we can say we know what God's mind is on this, but the nuances of this are very complex. Even in this room, right now present, there is a variety of opinions represented about what is believed the Bible allows for or doesn't allow for in the issue of divorce and remarriage. And so even amongst people that maybe have teaching roles and things like that, there could be some nuanced differences. Now, we're all agreed that, that marriage is God's gift to the church. We're all agreed that this is something that we should, we should uh, uh, promote and encourage. But the idea of what constitutes a legitimate divorce or is divorce, uh, remarriage after divorce, is that allowable? It gets dicey. And if you read all the different perspectives, and that was one way I was going to do this this morning. I was going to go through all the different viewpoints, but I decided that wouldn't be as profitable. But if you were to read through that, and you would read through the argumentation on this, it's very convincing in a lot of ways. 
So what we're going to do today is we're not going to go down all those roads. What we're going to do is we're going to look at this text here, and we're going to draw from what I believe Jesus was teaching from this text. Now, I will go into some other texts to try to round out what I believe Jesus was teaching towards in this, but we're not going to be able to do a full treatment on a, a, a position, if you will, on every nuance of divorce and remarriage this morning. But let me give you the background of this because that's going to set up for what I believe Jesus is doing in this text. The background of this is that you saw earlier when it says that Jesus left the region and he went beyond the Jordan. And it says the Pharisees came up and Mark is very explicit when he says that he came, uh, they came to test Jesus here. So in order for us to fully understand this or to understand what Jesus is doing with this text, we have to understand the motivation for this question. Okay, because that's going to tell you how Jesus responded to it and what we're getting out of Jesus's response. Mark chapter three and verse six has to come into play here. It says this, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. This is seven chapters ago where in the beginning of Jesus's ministry, right away that the Pharisees, religious leaders, they were getting uh, uh, um, uh, alliances on how to destroy Jesus. So this question here that the Pharisees are putting to Jesus, Mark is very clear, it is not a question of, hey, we really want to know what the truth is here. This was an attempt to trap Jesus. Now, how was it an attempt to trap Jesus? I think that there were a, a couple ways that they were using this to trap Jesus. Number one is this. There were two schools of thought that were very prevalent during this day about the issue of divorce. Not surprisingly, one was very conservative and one was very liberal. Okay, so one was that there was no reason at all to divorce a man to divorce a wife in that culture, and um, he should stay married. There was maybe the, the concession, Moses' concession, except for in cases of sexual immorality, but other than that, zero um, a reason for divorce. The other school of thought, the more liberal school of thought, said... You could divorce your wife for any reason. If you read some of the rabbinic literature of, from this perspective, it says you could divorce for any cause, even for spoiling a meal. There's a lot of jokes I could put right there. I'm just not going to, uh, and, and not about my wife, so don't go there. Um, but, um, um, but there's just a lot of jokes. I mean, how many marriages would be in jeopardy, right? Okay, if that was... So we have these two schools of thought, and it was, it was highly debated. So what the Pharisees were wanting to do is they were taking a very explosive issue and they were throwing it at Jesus, and they were wanting him to give an opinion on this because no matter what he says, he was going to make enemies. That was one reason. But I don't think that was the primary reason why they brought this up. I think the primary reason is because he, they were really trying to get Jesus executed. He said, no, wait a minute here. How could him, given his position on divorce, get him executed? Well, he had a cousin. Jesus had a cousin who lost his head because he gave a position on divorce. And the geographical marker in Mark chapter 10 and verse 1 puts Jesus back into Herod's jurisdiction. 
And so the Pharisees are coming to them, and they're saying, hey, Jesus, what do you think about this? Because remember John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, remember John the Baptist had told Herod and Herodias, he said, you guys cannot be married because she divorced her husband so that she could be with him. And he said, that is unlawful. You can't do this. And so that eventually is what caused John the Baptist to lose his head. Is because Herodias hated him for this. And so that, that was what you remember, the, the daughter danced. Remember, she says, the, the king says, I'll give you whatever you want. And then he, she goes back to her mom. Her mom says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Because she was so angry with him for causing a public disturbance about her divorce and remarriage. And so this question here, the Pharisees, they weren't idiots. They knew this. And so they knew that if they could get Jesus on record in this jurisdiction... To be talking about this, there was another, there was a good chance that maybe, just maybe, he would be executed as well. So it was a trap. So this, Jesus' answer here is not a full treatment on the subject. It was a response to a question that was intended to trap him there. So that leads us all into where we want to go with this message. Where we're going to go with this message is Jesus does talk about divorce, and I'm going to mention that towards the end. But before he does that, he talks about marriage. And so that's what I want to talk about. I think in some of the things that Jesus mentions here in his response, he tells us some important things about marriage. And here's the sentence that I want to walk away with today. It's this. Marriage is a gift from God. Therefore, marriage deserves study and commitment. Okay? So marriage is a gift from God. Therefore, because it's a gift, it deserves study and commitment. Study on a corporate level, but study on an individual level. Study within your own marriage and commitment within your own marriage. Okay? So for all the marriages that are represented here, this is really being taught to you this morning. If you're not married here today, I'm not trying to exclude you. I'm going to try to make some applications along the way, but primarily this text is going to be geared for people who are in a marriage right now. It's just what the text is, and we are bound by the text here at our church. And we teach what the text says. So let's go through this together. Marriage is a gift from God. Therefore, marriage deserves study and commitment. First of all, marriage deserves study. Did you notice that Jesus, in his response to the Pharisees, he looked past Moses' concession and went back to the pre-fall intentions of marriage? Did you notice that? Is it, they said, you know, is it lawful for a man to divorce? In other texts, in Matthew 19, there's a statement at the end, for any cause. And it is implied here as well. And Jesus doesn't necessarily allow for that. He talks us, what did Moses command? And then they get a response. And then he says this, well, it was because of the hardness of your heart uh, that he wrote you this. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. It's almost as if Jesus is saying here that before we talk about the disillusion of marriage, we need to go back to the beginning and see God's intention and parameters for marriage. And that's what he's getting at here, the intentions and the parameters of marriage. The parameters we see is a male and female. And so the, the parameters for marriage is one man and one woman. And this guides us even in a pluralistic society in which we find ourselves today and where marriage has been redefined. We go back to Jesus' words here. We go back to the creation order and we see that the intention and the parameters of marriage is one man and one woman. We know that one of the purposes is that for marriage is that God did not want Adam to be alone. Remember that. It says it's not good for man to be alone in Genesis when he created Eve or right before he created Eve. And so companionship is very important to God. 
being together. This is the reason why God's designed the church the way he's designed the church, is for us to be interactive and, and helping each other. And there's a lot of one another's in the New Testament. Love one another, be kind to one another, be patient with one another, pursue peace with one another. All those one another's all throughout the New Testament is because God puts a high value on relationships and interaction with each other. But even more so, and a beautiful picture that God has given to us is in marriage of companionship. And we have to understand when we're thinking of marriage, we have to understand this is not something that man created and then God used as a picture later on. So it wasn't like man, Adam and Eve, they were in the garden and they were doing their own thing and Adam looked over and saw Eve and was like, hey. And so, you know, then they get together and, and then they said, well, let's do this thing. We'll be committed to each other. And, and, and then they formed this marriage and later on God's saying, you know, I, I need a picture for what's going to happen with Christ in the church. I need a picture about covenantal relationship. You know, those humans down there, they like that marriage deal thing. So let's use that. No, 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 that's backwards. God created marriage to show us covenantal relationship so we understand how he reacts and interacts with us. And so we, we see Christ and the relationship of Christ and the church. And so marriage is a gift from God that is for our companionship so that we're not lonely and so that we have the benefits of being, of walking this life with someone else. But we cannot reduce the benefits of companionship to just simply having someone to hang around with. Companionship includes partnership. And so Adam and Eve were designed to help each other accomplish what they could not on their own. The most obvious is reproduction, okay? But it goes much deeper than the physical level. Adam and Eve were designed to help each other accomplish what they would not be able to accomplish on their own. You see, you got to understand, we're creating the image of God. And men have the image of God stamped upon their life. Women have the image of God stamped upon their life. And in case you haven't noticed, there is a subtle difference between men and women. Okay? All right? All right? There is a huge difference, right? There's a major difference between men and women. And that is not to be made fun of. That's not to be put down. That's to be celebrated because both of those differences or all of those differences are ways that we reflect the image of God. And God has given certain characteristics to men, generally speaking, certain characteristics to women, generally speaking, that will then reflect those image of God, that image of God, a complete picture of the image of God. So what we have here is we have something that God has given to us in marriage, this, this unity that God brings together of two individuals. He brings them together so they can accomplish something they just could not accomplish on their own. And so we need to think of this as a, like, is that marriages, they're really spiritual friendships for the journey to heaven. And there was a wedding, I, I think it was my brother's wedding I did, and um, um, this was a point that I wanted to make over and over again to them, is that the, the marriage that they were forming that day, a couple years ago now, they were, they were formalizing a spiritual friendship that should help them on the journey to heaven. Think about this for a second. You live with your spouse, and, and, and they see you, and you see them, and, and you see uh, parts of their character that no one else sees. 
You see them uh, when the, the, the facade is off. You see them when they're at the raw emotional point in their life. You, you see them in so many different ways. And in marriage, we have the, this opportunity more so than any other relationship that is known to man. In marriage, we have the opportunity to show mercy. We have the opportunity to show grace and love and forgiveness and forbearance. We have the opportunity to live this out, live out the character of God more so than in any type of relationship here. Sorrow and joy, sharing the sorrows, sharing the joys in life. No other relationship than in marriage. And that's a gift from God to the church, if God to, to humanity. And so when Jesus here, he's asked about this question, he says, yeah, it was for the hardness of heart that, that there's this concession about divorce. He says, but we got to go back to from the beginning, God made them man and female. God made them differently, but he made them complementary so that they could do things that they just could not do on their own. But I think another benefit of marriage is to show the joy of covenant keeping and the pain of covenant breaking. Now, how do I get this? If you go throughout all the Old Testament, particularly in the Old Testament, God uses marriage terminology to reference his relationship with Israel. And in fact, when Israel would rebel, he would call them an adulterous nation. Okay, there was many times a way that God described his relationship with his people in terms of what we would actually use in the same terminology for marriage. Covenant keeping. There's great joy when covenants are kept. There's great sorrow when covenants are broken. More than any other relationship. Any other thing, any other type of of partnership that, that we can fathom in humanity, marriage experiences the great joys of covenant keeping and the great sorrows of covenant breaking. That's the way that God has given this to us to understand this a little bit of how he has been uh, interacting with us. And that is, is, as I said, marriage has always been a picture of how God relates to his people. Um, In the Old Testament, there's there's Hosea and his wife Gomer. This is a, a crazy story. If you were to go back to the Old Testament book, you would see that God was using this situation as a picture of how he was, being for, he was forbearing with the nation of Israel. Gomer was his wife, was Hosea's wife, and she kept leaving him. She kept going away and in immorality. And God said, you bring her back. Accept her back. Keep loving her. Keep accepting her. Keep, 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 keep true to, to, to what you've done, uh, your, your marital vows, so to speak. And that was a picture that God was giving to us to show how God is faithful to us and God is faithful to his people, really, when they turn their back on him. Now, there is a time, and we know this, where we can turn our backs on God and that's final. And so that's not saying that, that God will always forgive and will always be forbearing with the people who turn their back on him. But it's, a, it's showing how long-suffering God is. It's showing how patient God is. It's showing how he loves us when we're unlovable. 
And so he's using marriage to describe the relationship of him and his people. Moving to the New Testament, we find explicit reference to marriage and with the relationship of Christ and the church. Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to look that up later on. Ephesians 5 tells us about how God uses marriage as a picture of Christ and the church. And husbands, we are to take our cues from Christ and how Christ uh, 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 responds to the church. We are supposed to look at that, and that should be our example, man, of how we love our wives and how we care for our wives, okay? And so there is a, a beautiful example given that God has given through marriage here. God has always used marriage to talk about his relationship with his people. But here's the problem is that we fail to appreciate what we do not understand. We often, I should say, we often fail to appreciate what we do not understand. And so when it comes to marriage, if we're just reducing marriage to best friends hanging out, of reducing marriage to, you know, um, it just seemed to make sense until it's the next step in our relationship. We're not going to fully appreciate what God has for our marriage. Because God has, he has a, a, a relationship that is unlike any other's plan for your marriage. But here's the deal. That's not a promise that it's going to be easy. That's not a promise that it's going to be uh, always, always uh, uh, great and happy. There are times, and you all know this if you've been married for about you know 15 minutes. Okay, you know that there are times where the marriage is great, and there are times where it is a dogfight, if you will. Okay, it just. We're two sinners. There's a book by Dave Harvey. I, I, I recommend it to you. A marriage is called When Sinners Say I Do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you think about this. You think about this, and I talk about this in premarital counseling that I do with people who are, who are uh, going to get married. I often will say, look, here, here's the deal. You have you, you know, two neurotic, um, selfish, um, you know, uh, uh, prideful people other than that, they're okay. So you have, you have these two people, and then you're going to put them together, and God's going to say, I'm going to make them one flesh here. If that's not a recipe for disaster, I don't know what is, right? But the key is, is that if, if our focus has to be on God in his word, and that that's what's going to make it successful, okay? And so, but there's a beautiful thing called marriage here that God's given to us here, but if we don't understand it, we're going to not appreciate it. So that's why we study it. That's why you study your marriage. You study your marriage individually. Men, study your marriage. Women, study your marriage. Be talking about your marriage. You should be having conversations about your marriage on a regular basis. Okay, now, I know when I just said that right now, several guys in this room just about had a heart attack. Okay, I know, I know. I almost saw it, okay? Um, Here's the deal. I know we don't like talking about relationships. We had a, a men's gathering, okay? So we were here, you'll remember me doing this. I said, we had a men's meeting, and we ate wings and all that stuff. I said, okay, here, here's the deal, guys. I said, you know, well, we want to talk about friendships. We want to talk about, you know, godly friendships tonight, and that was the theme that we were going to talk about. I said, so to do that, we all need to sit down in a circle. We need to hold hands, okay? All right? And we tell each other we love each other, and we talk about our feelings, okay? All right? Now, okay, okay, 
Okay, some of you guys are laughing. Some of you ladies are laughing even more. I see it right now. And we all laughed in that moment because they all knew I wasn't serious. And if I was serious, there would have been an uprising and an exodus, okay? All right? Because that's not what guys enjoy doing, right? Okay, we get that, okay? And I get that. But your marriage is crucial, okay? Your marriage is so important for not just your own family, but for society, for church, everything. And so there should be regular conversations that you have, you know, of like, hey, how we doing? Or, you know, uh, uh, how we doing? Or whatever questions you want to ask, okay? We don't have a lot of depth chart here, okay, to the questions we ask about marriage, okay? All right, so ladies, you got to help us out with this. But, but, but we do this, right? And, and we have these conversations, right? Okay, is there any other questions I ask? Other than how we doing? <laughs> she doesn't know. <laughs> she, she doesn't see it. But we do have the conversations, right? Okay, okay, oh yeah. All right, okay. Whew. That would have been awkward. Anyway, so here's the point. Is that what we're not studying, we're not going to understand. And what we're not understanding, we're not going to appreciate. And so, so pray for your wives. Pray for your husbands. You, you know, know them. Talk with them. Work on this thing called marriage because this is what he said. He says, this is what he's given to us from the beginning of creation. This was from the beginning. Parenthetical side note here has nothing to do with the the message per se other than I think it's cool. The Bible begins with a marriage and ends with a marriage. It's a story. Marriage is all throughout the story. It begins with the marriage of Adam and Eve. It begins with the marriage supper of the Lamb of Jesus and the church. Marriage is a theme all throughout the scriptures. It is that important here. So if you have cold feelings towards your marriage or just maybe marriage in general, or if you wonder if marriage is worth the hassle, or if you're reducing marriage to maybe it's just a piece of paper, why do we need the piece of paper? Then you really don't understand marriage, okay? Study it. So here's my application for this point before moving on, is before coming to your conclusions about divorce, go back to see what was the intention of marriage. And for those of you who are married, study marriage in general, but study your marriage. What are the strengths of your marriage? What are the weaknesses of your marriage? Do you talk about marriage with your spouse, as I just mentioned? And for those of you who are not married, study marriage. It will help you understand God's covenantal relationship with you. It will also help you pray for and minister to your friends who are married. So marriage is important. It's a gift from God. Therefore, marriage deserves study. And secondly, it deserves commitment. It deserves commitment. Did you notice that it says in the text, leave father and mother and hold fast to his wife? That's the pattern. Children raise up and they leave mom and dad and they form a new family. Now, this, this time is filled with many mixed emotions. Um, I was... Um, uh, I know when it was time for me to leave the house, and I left home uh, a few years before I got married, probably six years or so before I got married, so that part was an easy transition, uh, but just the form of a new family, a new nucleus, just, you're trying to figure out parameters and things like that. Um, I don't know what it's going to be like when my kids get married. I know that two years ago when my brother was getting married, I was standing at the platform, and um, People are starting to come down the aisle, and my daughter was the flower girl, and she started walking down the aisle, and I started to cry almost. And I thought my mind just fast-forwarded to 50 years when she's going to get married. <laughs> and I just fast-forwarded, and I just thought to myself, oh, 
this is going to be here before I know it. And then I was like, okay, you got to get this thing together. This is not happening today, so you can put it aside and put that in a different box. Men can do that, which is good. And so put it into a different box. And then I was able to get on with the, with, with the wedding, you know, things like that. But I tell you, in that moment, there was a brief moment where I thought to myself, whew, this is going to be a change. This is going to be difficult. This is going to be hard, okay? It is difficult. There is some hardness, but it's, a, it's also full of joy. Because I want my daughter to eventually get married. I do. Uh, I'm not going to stand in a way, I mean, if it's a decent guy, and I am the sole arbitrator of that, okay? So, but the point is, is, is you know, I do want her to get married, right? But it's, there's mixed emotions because there is a whole, that's a whole new family that's being established. That is, that is deep relationships that are happening. That is, that is something that God is being bringing two people together and making them as one person. That's what marriage is. That's why it's so important that we marry uh, intelligently and we marry the, the people who are going to help us on their spiritual journey to heaven, right? Because it is a one flesh thing. Don't think that if you get married, you're going to change the person after the marriage. That usually doesn't happen, okay? And so here's the thing. Now, you will influence each other, but if there's warning flags before the marriage, then don't do it. But here's the point. Once you're married, that's a new family, and it deserves commitment here. Leave father and mother. The commitment also seems, as I said, hold fast to each other and be one flesh, it says in the text. This means to be emotionally, intellectually attached to someone. It's conceived as as of like gluing or attaching oneself to something else or someone else. It, it, It means to be faithfully devoted to, and there's joy associated with this word hold fast. It's to become part of. But the problem is, the hard part is that the person you became part of is constantly changing. And so are you. So that, that's what makes marriage hard is because, you know, the woman that I married, you know, 17 years ago is not the same woman uh, that, that she, today that she was then. And I'm not the same man that she married 17 years ago, right? Okay. And so we're constantly changing. And that's what makes marriage so difficult here. Um. There's a book called The Meaning of Marriage. I highly recommend it to you. Um, Tim Keller and his wife Kathy wrote it. Uh, and this is a chapter Tim wrote. He said this, Over the years you will go through seasons in which you have to learn to love a person who you didn't marry, who is something of a stranger. Uh, you will have to make changes that you don't want to make, and so will your spouse. The journey may eventually take you into a strong, tender, joyful marriage, but it is not because you married the perfectly compatible person. That person doesn't exist. It's true. We're changing all the time. And so when he says, hold fast to that person, in marriage, he's saying that's what the goal of marriage should be, is that we we hold fast. So I said, hold fast to Anukin. As she's going through all of her changes in life, and then she's holding fast to me, as I go through all my changes in life, that we hold fast to each other, we're committed to each other, because this is God's plan. But it's not easy, and you all know this. But it does deserve commitment. Um... Commitment, it takes effort. Commitment to God and his word fuels your commitment to marriage. Here's what I want to say about that, is that it's not so much my commitment to Anuk that is going to save our marriage. And it's not her commitment to me that's going to make it a healthy, joyful marriage. It's her commitment to God and his word. It's my commitment to God and his word that's going to make a marriage that lasts, 
okay? Dave Harvey, in his book, I mentioned it before, When Sinners Say I Do, he said this, it's a wonderful, freeing thing. Man, there's another typo. Sorry about that. I don't know what ting is, but we're going to go with it. So it's a wonderful, freeing thing to realize that the durability and quality of your marriage is not ultimately based on the strength of your commitment to your marriage. Rather, it's based on something completely apart from your marriage, God's truth. Because there's going to be times where you, we have changing feelings towards the spouse that we married because... They're changing, and I'm changing. We're all changing, and it makes it difficult. It's disorienting at times. But if our commitment is to God and his word, that's what's going to carry us through those times. As we relearn each other, as we rediscover each other. I don't know how many years we were married at the time. I don't know, but it was probably around 10 years or so. So Anuka looked at me one time, and I can't remember where we were at, but she just looked at me, and she's like, do I even know you? You know? And of course, I was like, I hope so. <laughs> you know, and it wasn't, we were not arguing. We were not fighting. There was anything, but it was just like, you know, life changes us. Experience changes us. And it's like, I mean, I, I've thought of it. I've thought about Anouk. I've looked at her and I thought, how well do I really know her? Is she secretly plotting my demise? No, I'm just teasing. No, but the point is, how well do I know? I mean, we're learning each other all the time. How... How well do you know yourself? How many times have you thought, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. I, I don't know why this bothers me so much. You're still discovering your own self. Now, how, how, how do you think that your spouse is trying to figure all this out? So the point is this. It takes commitment. Marriage deserves commitment, but not necessarily commitment primarily to the other person. Although, don't misunderstand me. You need to be committed to that person. But it's the, the thing that's going to carry us in the tough times is our commitment to God and his word. What God has put together, verse 9, let not man separate. What that tells me there in verse 9 is that God owns the marriage. You don't own the marriage. God owns it. He says what God has put together. Let not any man, that includes you, and that includes me, in the marriage. Let no man put us under. So it's easy to think of the man and the wife as the only participants in the marriage. But that simply isn't true. Marriage is ultimately about God. And marriage also involves family, friends, and society. So Jesus here is saying that God owns the marriage. Therefore, no human has right to tear it apart. So now that brings us to the divorce thing, though, before I wrap this up. We do have Moses' concession here, though. We do have this thing, and, and I'm still not wavering from the two main points. This is kind of just a sidebar, but the, of that marriage is God's gift, and so therefore it deserves study, and it deserves commitment. But here we do have Moses' concession. And I, 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 because of time, I can go there, but Deuteronomy 24 is the text. So if you, if you want to look at this text, it's Deuteronomy chapter 24. It's in the Old Testament, uh, fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. This is the text of Scripture that Jesus and the Pharisees are talking about here. And this was the text that was highly debated over what constitutes a legitimate divorce. Was it only for sexual immorality or was it uh, other things as well? Because it says if she becomes um, 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 unseeming, that's not the word, it's one of the translations, and you got to understand the reason why it's always from the male perspective is because there wasn't an option technically in society for a woman to divorce her husband during this time. 
And so this is why it's always from the male perspective. But the, the concession, if you will, though, and again, I, I can't get too into this, but I do want to share this. The concession was actually to help protect the women in that society. It, it was so that if the husband did send her away, then she had to have a written statement of divorcement from her husband so that then she was free then. Okay, so then she couldn't be uh, called an adulteress, so that she couldn't be uh, called uh, uh, or accused of, of, of cheating on the relationship. And so if he was going to divorce her, he couldn't just say, okay, be gone with his word. And then she goes away, moves on with her life. And then he comes back and says, wait a minute here, she's cheating on me, we need to stone her. It, it, it was a way to protect her in this. And there was a way of, of operating um, outside of the ideal of marriage because of the presence of sin. And so this is the point that we need to think about when we think about marriage is, or divorce, is that divorce is always a result of sin, but it is allowed in certain circumstances. It's always a result of sin. Now, I, I don't know who it was. Maybe it was on both parties. Maybe it was one party. But if, if there's not sin present, the marriage survives. But sin is, is there's always a presence of sin if there's a divorce that is, that is breaking the marriage up. And so Jesus in Matthew 19 talks about sexual immorality. Paul expands upon Jesus' teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 when he talks about abandonment because the reason why Paul's expanding this, and he makes that clear in the text. Again, I don't have time to turn there, but he, said, he says, now, uh, the, I say this, not the Lord, and then he talks about the expansion of divorce. Now, the reason why he was saying it was not because it was, his words were any less inspired or less authoritative. He was just trying to say, Jesus said this. Now, I'm pushing this out and expanding it because this issue we're dealing with wasn't even a, around in Jesus' day when he was talking about that. And that was a follower of Jesus who said that, that is married to an unbeliever. And the unbeliever says, I don't want to be married to you anymore because you're following Jesus. I'm going to divorce you. Paul says, let it go. The abandonment principle, let it go. And that person is no longer bound to that marriage. So what Paul is doing there is he's expanding Jesus' teaching on this because, again, Jesus' point was not to give a full treatment on divorce and remarriage. He was dealing with the heart of the Pharisees' question of going back to then uh, show the priority of marriage. So divorce is always a result of sin, but it is allowed, and we can get into some of those conversations privately about that, but it is never something that we should take lightly. So if you're married, your spouse and your God deserve your commitment to that marriage. If you're married, your marriage needs constant work and effort. If you're married, God owns the marriage, not you. So as I bring this to a conclusion this morning, I conclude this way by saying, as I said before, marriage is a gift from God, therefore marriage deserves study and commitment. As I've also said, divorce is always a result of sin, therefore we grieve whenever there is a divorce. Divorce is allowed in certain circumstances, but is never commanded. And here's the point I want to make. I had to make this point. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. So if you've gone through a divorce, and maybe it was an illegitimate divorce, Maybe it was, it was something that you should not have, have divorced. There was no grounds, biblically speaking, for divorce. And you've gone through it. God hates divorce. We grieve divorce. But it's not the impartable sin. And I say that because I know, remember, I'm dancing in a minefield this morning. And I'm fully aware of that. 
I say that because I never want people to walk away looking at their past, a past sin, and feeling like they're less worth in God's sight because of that. Because God will forgive. We have to have a repentant spirit. We have to acknowledge our sin. We have to confess it to the Lord. But the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not every unrighteousness except for divorce. So it is not the impartable sin. Now I say that because I, I have, uh, there's a personal connection for me with that. I'll share this and then we'll close. When my mom was growing up, my mom grew up in a home where her father and her mother split up when she was young. And so for most of my mom's life growing up, she didn't see her dad, didn't know her dad. You've got to understand that the time, times have changed, okay? My mom went to a public high school, public junior high, public high school. She says that in her public junior high school, in public high school, she only knew of like one other child that had parents who were divorced. And it was her and her siblings, and that was it. My mom tells me stories of how the neighbors would mock and make fun of her mom. My mom tells a story of how they would call the police because their lawn wasn't getting mowed fast enough because it was a single mom with four children trying to make ends meet, trying to make this thing happen. And instead of offering to help, instead of saying, hey, maybe we should mow the lawn for our neighbor, they looked down at him, and it was because she was divorced. And in fact, they said that. They said, well, if, if, if the man didn't stay, you must have done something wrong. And so we're not going to have anything to do with you. These are the stories of my grandmother. These are the stories of my mom. And so I want to make sure that we never communicate unloving and ungraciousness when we talk about this very difficult subject. But what I do want to talk about is that God does hate divorce, and we should be very cautious about it, and it should never be something that we just, just flippantly joke about. It, it's a joke in society. Hey, I want you to introduce you to my future ex-wife. It's a joke in society. We ought not never to joke about divorce. Because it's a breakdown of something that God has given as a gift. And so we should fight for marriage. Be committed to it. Study it. But we love those who have gone through divorce. Because it is not the unpardonable sin. So I hope I'm making it very clear this morning. Let me give you some homework. Read a book on marriage. You say, what? Yes, that's my homework. You don't have to do it this week, okay? But read a book on marriage. I recommend two, Tim and Kathy Kelly's, uh, yeah, yeah. Tim and Kathy Keller's uh, The Meaning of Marriage and Dave Harvey's When Sinners Say I Do. I quoted from both of those this morning. I recommend both of those books to you. In fact, when I do premarital counseling, those are the two books I give to couples to read through. Um, so some of you in this room at least own them, whether or not you've read them. That's another thing. But so read, uh, read those books. Uh, anyone, you could be married, unmarried, married, just newly married, have been married for a long time, whatever it is. Let me encourage you, read a book on marriage, study marriage, okay? Uh, those are two books that I highly, highly recommend on marriage. Uh, secondly, pray for your marriage and the marriages of this church. So this week, intentionally pray for your marriage. Husbands, how, when was the last time you prayed for your marriage? Okay. Wives, pray for your marriage. Look around. If you're not married, pray for the marriages of the church. Even if you're married, pray for the marriages of this church. Have an intentional conversation about marriage with your spouse. Okay? All right? 
You can use this sermon as a, as, a, as a springboard. Do you believe that guy? You can start with that. You can start with that. That's okay, all right? All right? You start with whatever you want to start with. But have an intentional conversation about marriage, okay? Make me the bad guy. I don't care. But just talk about your marriage with your spouse sometime this week. Fair enough? All right, let's pray. Father, this was a difficult sermon at a lot of levels. Um, I wanted to focus on what was the priority of the text. And I felt Jesus was really trying to show the, the beauty of marriage and the priority of marriage. And the divorce question was masking that a little bit in the Pharisees' mind. And so I pray that we've been faithful to this. Father, I know that divorce is a very painful, painful subject. And Father, I pray for those who have experienced that and are experiencing that. Father, I pray that they would find grace and that they would, they would find your love and forgiveness and in, in that they would not be reduced to that identity of, of, of a certain sin but, or of a potential sin or sin that was committed against them. But Father, that their identity would be as every one of us forgiven. So Father, I pray that if there's questions that people would have courage to ask, because uh, we definitely don't want people to walk away with the wrong idea here. Father, please protect our marriages. Uh, I pray that we would go away, uh, for those of us who are married, I pray that we would go away with a renewed resolve to work hard and study and be committed to our marriage. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.